0: It is great to see you today. I want to welcome you on this 20th day of June, Father's Day. So glad that you can be with us. I see so many faces that are getting to celebrate today and grateful for that. hope you have some great time this afternoon to get to do that. I had all my kids with me yesterday on a pre-Father's Day kind of opportunity to connect, and I couldn't be more grateful. I'm so grateful for them. And... Um, I just hope that you have that opportunity as well today. We're going to continue in a series that we began a couple weeks ago called At the Crossroads. We believe this month of June is incredibly significant in the story of Trinity Church. If you have a Bible today, would you make your way to Galatians chapter 3? Galatians chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. Remember uh, my uh, way of remembering it? Probably learned it in the fourth or fifth grade. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians Philippians, Colossians. If you can't find one of those four books, it's absolutely useless to you, okay? So I apologize, but find your way there. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to dive in in just a second. Um, Jared did a great job hosting today. Remember last week I had shared that with the elders uh, that we are wanting to move Jared into a local missions pastor. Jared has served faithfully for three years, in uh, various roles, and that moving into a pastor role per our Constitution is something that gives you an opportunity to interact with him a little bit more if you have not gotten to know him, and also to give any input uh, to our elder board that would need to happen by this Wednesday. So, Jared will be out on the plaza after this service today, and he'd love to interact with you and tell you a little bit more about his excitement in this role. Really appreciate Allison Anderson, did an amazing job working with the city of Redlands, our Serve Our City Uh, opportunity. Yesterday, many of you are here today. Don't know if you got all the paint off. Um, I got home and realized some had gotten in below my shoe, and so I was of the tribe of the Blackfoot yesterday, and had black paint on my ankle as I was walking all around uh, downtown Redlands afterwards. It's kind of funny, uh, I guess just to me. But... um, (laughs) But within that, we had a great time. About 40 of us from Trinity showed a group of 160 all together. And Jared was also very instrumental in helping make that flow so well. So, thank you, those of you who were involved in that yesterday. Great opportunities. Goodwill leads, or good deeds leads to goodwill, leads to the good news. And that's how we want to be in our community as people who are indeed showing up and being involved in ways that help make Redlands a better place. So, anyways, that was going on yesterday. Jared's going to be available. See him afterwards. Um, if you want to interact with him. And if you have any input for the elders, please give that to us by this Wednesday, the 23rd. Also, just a reminder, as George is mentioning, our meeting, our congregational meeting, next Sunday on the 27th. Um, You have heard a lot about this for the whole month. And that's a really important thing, because we really believe this meeting is going to be a really significant one. We have had congregational meetings in an annual way. Uh, for 40 years. That's kind of the name of the event. It happens every year. This one, though, is going to be really important. And I made a commitment to myself and to the elder board that that wasn't going to be a meeting where people would tell me afterwards. I had no idea how important that was going to be. So please, if you're a part of Trinity Church, you are all welcome. If you are a voting member, meaning a member of Trinity, especially be here that day and, and go ahead and be a part of that process. We will be affirming our budget that George talked about, as well as two of our elders. Dan Fleming, who has been our chairman for the last year, served these last three years, and Doug Richards, our vice chairman, also served these last three years. So be a part of that in the life of our church next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. So during this pivotal month, um, our whole goal has been to see with clarity Uh, not only who God is, but how that relates to who we've been called to be. And a lot of that relates to even the songs we sang today had a lot to do with identity, had a lot to do with the fatherhood of God. And so I'm real excited to be able to share with you today the very first message I ever gave at Trinity Church almost five years ago to the day when I was candidating to come. And so that's what we're looking at. If you have notes, you might have gotten from the back. Or if you have our app, you can open that up and follow along. If you have, raise your hand. Were you here that Sunday? Raise your hand if you were here. Okay. Um, you'll see if it's pretty similar. Okay. <laughs> the rest of you, though, is really interesting how many of you weren't. This is all brand new. So it's great. <clears> there <throat> will be good stuff. And we're going to see something today <clears throat> that, to me, is one of the most winsome things about all of the Bible The fact that we get to approach, we get to know, we get to call the creator of the universe Dada. And he invites us into that. And so I'm so excited to look at the fatherhood of God with you today. So we're going to dive in in this uh, passage in uh, Galatians chapter 3. I started that message then by saying that if you're going to know me, you got to know two things about me. Number one, you got to know my family. Take a look at this picture. This is the one I showed. Oh, not that one. Do we have the other one laying? There you go. That's the one that I showed you five years ago. That was the Christmas prior to us coming out. And you'll note everyone looks a tad younger, appropriately so. Take a look at the second shot. This is what's happened in five years. We've gained a daughter-in-law. Thank you, Jesus. We have had three college graduations, two high school graduations, and an eighth grade promotion. Don't want to forget that, right? So that's our crew a month ago at Aliyah's college graduation. So that's, that's us. You, you need to know my family if you're going to know me. But the other thing is you got to know my father. And you got to know this amazing God who has reached down and made himself known to me from the earliest of age and called me into his family early on and absolutely radically changed my life. Look at this quote from J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God. Our adoption shows us the greatness of God's love. The New Testament gives us two yardsticks for measuring God's love. The first is the cross. The second is the gift of sonship. When you realize that God has taken you and made you a son in his own house, you, a miraculously pardoned offender, then your sense of God's love beyond degree is more than words can express. And that's my hope today, to communicate to you more than words can express. I'm going to be quoting from Packer's book a couple times because chapter 19 in Knowing God is all about this concept that we often forget. We often fail to see the gravity of how significant it is that not only have you been saved from hell, if you put your faith in Christ, you've been brought into a family, the family of God, and you get to call the creator of the universe, Dad. A first import today is this. Some of you um, were kind of wary of this morning. You're thinking, oh man, it's Father's Day. I know he's gonna talk about dads. And you have dad issues. That You wouldn't be the only one. There's multiple people, maybe even someone sitting next to you, maybe someone on your row, that when we talk about Father's Day, this is not a day of celebration for you for a host of reasons. I wanna tell you this. If that's you today, do not check out because I'm gonna put this to you, I believe you of all people, you of all people would throw your arms around this concept, would embrace the fatherhood of God for what is lacking in a human relationship. Do not be turned off from God calling you his son or daughter, God letting you know him as father simply because you have had difficult or even absent father issues all the more embrace this dynamic of the love of God because this speaks to you in a way that you have such a void in your life. We'll find today that Jesus alone is the premise. Jesus alone is the pathway for you to be adopted as God's son. And by the way, I'm going to keep using the word son today. And for women in the room, ladies in the room, you might go, that's demeaning. You'll find out today it's anything but. Go back into the first century. Go back 2,000 years ago to the church at Galatia who is hearing these words, and you would understand as we walk this passage out today that to be adopted as a male heir son is the greatest of all things that could have happened in one's life who was bound for a life just simply full of slavery. So don't feel demeaned by that. Go into the first century as we walk this out. And the question for you today is here is if you have placed your faith in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, are you experiencing, are you taking in, are you drinking from all the amazing reality of what it is to be a son or daughter of God? My hope is that you are. And my hope is that today as we look at this passage in Galatians 3, it's going to help even more if you're not. But if you're here today and God has brought you here for whatever reason, And you have yet to put your faith in Christ. Number one, I'm so glad you're here. But number two, I'm gonna simply ask you this question as we walk through this passage today. Keep asking yourself, what am I waiting for? Why have I held out? What am I holding back from rather than embracing this kind of love from the creator of the universe? So my hope is today that as you see this, you'll embrace the love in response that he has for you. So here's some context to the book that we're in. Paul's writing to the Galatians really about one huge premise that threads through the entire six chapters of the book. They had forgotten the basis of the gospel. They'd completely set aside the plot. They missed the whole thing. They're not like the Corinthian church. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, they were living in the flesh in so many different ways whether it be in sexual immorality, whether it be in division, whether it be in a sense of of just treating each other incredibly poorly, they were a mess. This isn't the problem with the Galatian church. Instead, they were denying themselves and others the true freedom that comes in being found in Christ. That was their issue, that was their problem. They were contending that the gospel was a Jesus plus, fill in the blank, equation. That you had to add some external actions to truly be made right with God rather than simply Jesus' blood covering you. Two verses that really summarize the entire book of Galatians are found in chapters five, verses one and four. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Some of the strongest, most pointed words in all of Paul's letters are found in the book of Galatians. This was a big deal. Legalistic righteousness was something he had lived his whole life. And he says back to them, don't fall prey to that trap. So here we go in your notes. And by the way, strap in. When I came and preached this message to you before, I was filling the blank happy. You're gonna get ready to write today, okay? Here we go. When God is your father, your identity is wrapped up in Christ. When God is your father, I'm gonna state some truisms today that are true. If God is your father, this is true. Number one, your identity is wrapped up in Christ. Jesus is the basis of your adoption because you are clothed in him. Galatians 3, verse 26 is where we pick it up. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, here's that key word, have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you belong to Christ, verse 29, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know there's a lot of focus in our culture at seasons i I feel like it's seasonal it's not all the time but there have been times where people will say we're all god's children and to that i would say according to this passage in galatians 3 that's not accurate what we all are are god's creatures we're all created by an all-powerful creator god and therefore we are all valuable we're made in his image we have worth simply because we're human beings That is true. But to say that we're all God's children, according to Galatians 3, doesn't seem accurate because it says in Christ, we moved from a created being to a cherished child. That's huge. That's important to remember. And the next time you hear that phrase just out in the culture, it doesn't mean you have to get into a debate, but I'd love your brain to think differently and go, no, we're all God's creatures. We're created by him beautifully and in his image, but to be his child is a little different. And it's all because of what Jesus has done for you, not something you've done to gain it yourself. Being the idea of being clothed with Christ, listen to this powerful illustration of lambing, L-A-M-B-I-N-G, lambing in New Zealand. When orphan lambs are being united to mothers who've also lost lambs at birth. So imagine the reality a, a mother has A ewe has the sheep that dies uh, being born, and then similarly, another uh, lamb is born to a mom who dies in childbirth. So on the one hand, you have this huge sequence of tragedies, but on the other, you have this obvious reality, a mother who doesn't have a child and a child who doesn't have a mother, let's bring them together. It's not as easy as you would think though. Listen to this, how then do shepherds get a mother sheep to accept an orphaned lamb as her own? The process is as old as shepherding itself. The mother's own lamb, which has died, is skinned. And the skin of the dead lamb is draped over the living lamb as it's placed by the adoptive mother's side. The mother sheep smells the skin and accepts the orphaned lamb as her own. Man, that makes that powerful when we process what it means to be clothed in Christ. Jesus crucified on the cross provides a covering over us where we can be found, we can be known, we can be accepted by God, not because of anything we've done, but simply because of who and how righteous Jesus is. When God is your father, you know whose you are. Next, when God is your father, you are indistinguishable you are indistinguishable to him in regard to externals such as race class and gender we skipped a verse in our last sequence because i wanted you to see this and i wanted you to see a point of contention that paul was having again with these galatian these galatian christians who had said jesus is great do be Brothers, right? Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is great, but it's something else, and they kept adding in the law. Elements of the law is what were needed to truly be right with God. Paul says you're absolutely and couldn't be further from the truth wrong. And this verse speaks powerfully to the idea of how included we are when we're in Christ. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." Now, you and I hear those words, and we think about the different combinations, right? Jew or Gentile has to do with our nationality or ethnicity. Slave or free has to do with our standing in so many aspects, not even economic, that's just a, that's not even fair to compare that to slavery, but the idea of being someone who's willing and able to make choices and those who are not neither male nor female. We see those and we can extrapolate powerful truths from that, but I want you to go back, like we said to the first century, a first century church that was struggling holding on to Judaism at some degree rather than simply saying it's all and only about Jesus. Paul, a former Pharisee, would have prayed a prayer like this. Take a look. The Pharisee's prayer, I thank thee, God, that I am a Jew not a Gentile, that I am a man, not a woman, and a free man, and not a slave. A church that had been infiltrated with uh, Judaizers who were trying to say it's Jesus plus the law, Paul, a former Pharisee who might have prayed that very prayer, writes, with an incredibly strategic set of words, there is neither in the family of God through Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. We are all indistinguishable to the Father because these external trappings are nothing he considers and nothing that keeps us from him. Packer again, God receives us as sons and loves us with the same steadfast affection which he eternally loves, his beloved, only begotten son. There are no distinctions of affection in the divine family. We are all loved just as fully as Jesus is loved. It is like a fairy story. The reigning monarch adopts waifs and strays to make princes of them, but praise God, it is not a fairy story. It is a hard and solid fact founded on the bedrock of free and sovereign grace. This, and nothing less than this, is what adoption means. No wonder John cries, behold, what manner of love. I can't even wrap my mind around the immensity, the extravagance of the love of God. And this is what we keep pressing into in this passage of Galatians. Paul's gonna take us into greater and greater depths of understanding of how richly you're loved. You don't need to compete for God's favor when you're a part of his family. Next, when God is your father, you are fully included into his family as a privileged son. When God is your father, you're fully included into his family as a privileged son. Those are very specifically chosen words, so let's talk about what they mean. For starters, it means this, you are not included in God's family as a supervised child. You're not included into the family as a supervised child. Read on. We're actually going back a few verses to chapter 3, verse 24. So as the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under A guardian. Two times you saw that word in that passage, guardian. That word is pedagogos, and it's the idea of a tutor, an instructor. So understand this, and we've seen this a lot recently in our study in John, that the law was given. Romans 3 makes it so crystal clear. The law was given not as a means to say, God, look how good I am. The law was always given to help us understand, God, how much I need you, How much I need deep forgiveness. I cannot do this on my own. And the problem is people had inverted that understanding. And so within this, what the law was always meant to do was to point us to the greater need, to point us to our actual need, not to feel good. Imagine this. Imagine this side of the stage is the edge of the Grand Canyon. And imagine that every single one of us lines up. We line up down the row and out through the hallway, and every one of us, gets a running start from the drum kit, okay? Here's your deal, okay? Everyone gets the same start. Everyone, no matter how athletic, unathletic you are, go. And everyone starts running one at a time and we jump. I'm gonna probably get one and a half feet that way. Some of you, a little less athletic than me, 18 inches. Oh, it's the same actually, isn't it? We get the same, okay. (laughs) Six, half a dozen. Some of you that are much more athletic than me, you can get four or five feet. Grand Canyon across? Not even close. So the reality is rather than feeling, I got three feet farther than Todd. What was the expectation? Not even close. This is what the law was meant to do. The law was our instructor to show us you can't be good enough. And with that, there was a sacrificial system that kept putting Band-Aids on sin. That's the best they had. And God said, when you do that in faith, that's acceptable for now. But Jesus comes prior to Paul writing this letter and Jesus changed everything. Because as the book of Hebrews tells us, this once and for all sacrifice covers the span. Brings you from one side of the canyon to the other, not because of all your straining, not because of all your efforts, but because of his accomplished work. Not what you can do, but what he's done. Dad is the gospel. So the law was meant to be your tutor. The law was meant to be this guardian, this trainer that demonstrates how much you need Jesus, not how much you can do apart from him on your own. But there's more. Moving up into Galatians 4 verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to, here's that word again, guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Paul's making another distinction here of that of an underage child. Remember we said today that God adopts us not only as sons, but as adult sons. We'll see this distinction, how incredibly important this is. But an underage heir Paul says is no different from a slave. Even though his future is, all of this is going to be his in the moment. He can't enjoy any of it to that degree. Because he's still under the tutelage. And we saw the words guardian and trustee. The Greek word here for trustee is the word oikonomos. It means a manager of a household. That's who was in charge over these underage heirs. They didn't have the opportunity to exhibit this kind of freedom and and leadership yet because they were under the supervision. Paul writes to Galatians that they have even a greater status now, now that they're in Christ. He also reminds them that they had an old status when they were enslaved to the sinful nature, the sinful environments. So also note this, that you are not included in God's family as a slave. You don't have that kind of status, that kind of lowly, second-class anything. Galatians 4.3, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Paul reminds these Galatian Christians that they were sinners living in a sinful world before they knew Christ. And then we're held by this elemental spiritual darkness that is over our world. Colossians 2 is the only other place that uses that same phraseology. That there is something about being born as a fallen person into a fallen world that we live in a slavery to the flesh. But again, that too changes when we're in Christ. So who are they now? You are included into God's family as freed. Freed. Freed by Jesus and adopted by the Father, Galatians 4 4 and 5. When the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So Paul is building this case and he's saying, This is who you were. And this is even what it was like. None of this was that reality of being a true adopted son and heir. But now in Christ, these things are there. Look at a couple of the key words we just read. The word redemption. We've said this word before. It means to set free by paying a price. So someone in in, in the first century mind, the Galatian Christians, when they heard this word redemption, they would have thought of it in terms of the slave market. And the way that you would purchase a slave, you would pay a set price and they would now be yours that was redeeming them. Now, you could redeem them simply because you're, they're yours and simply put them back into the fields. But you could also do something incredibly, extravagantly different. You could set them free. The idea of adoption, placing one as a son. So, these are two separate but essential aspects of our salvation. So let's get what's going on in these verses. What would the first century Galatian Christian hearing this letter from Paul, what would he and she have been thinking? They would have thought of it this way. First century adoption is very different than 21st century adoption. In that, many times, not all, many times in the 21st century, we intentionally adopt underage children with the purpose of providing them a home. And the purpose of raising them, in this case, in a godly environment, that they would know the love of God in parents, and they would know the love of God and experience in this community of a local church. In some cases, the earlier the better. But in the first century, there were already too many mouths to feed. Nobody adopted underage children. There was no way you could bring on more into your home. The reason you would adopt is because you didn't have a male heir. My wife grew up the middle sister of three girls. The Jeffrey home in a first century standard had no male heir. So Bob Jeffrey in that environment, this is what he would have been at a crossroads to have to figure out. Who is going to care for my wife? Who is going to care for my daughters when I'm not here anymore? And what he would have done like most anyone in the first century, is he would have gone to either a friend or to a slave market. And he would have redeemed, he would have paid a price to buy an adult male. Adult male could have been 14, 15, doesn't mean that they're 30. But buy someone that can be an heir, the leader of his home when he's no longer there, and would place him into his family, not as a slave, but adopted as a son, and everything that he had he would leave to him. That's first century adoption. That's what Paul is writing about. That's what Paul wants you to understand related to your standing in Christ. The Galatians would have been familiar with this sort of practice that Paul alludes to, and he's helping them understand all of the privileges of what it means to be redeemed redeemed from the slavery that they once knew, and in such a drastic change of status to be made the heir apparent in a home where you are now both related to the father and to his kids. I just gotta tell you, that is God-sized grace. When God is your father, you receive freedom and a family. Next, when God is your father, you're offered deep intimacy by his spirit. You're offered deep intimacy by his spirit. Look at the next words, Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons, not can be, should be, but are, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. This next sequence would have absolutely flipped the Galatians on their heads as they're tracking with this idea of first century adoption, as their minds are blown that the creator of the universe has applied a concept that they understand in their lives and in their culture, but now on the grander scheme for all of eternity. Now add this next layer because when a son, an adult son comes into a home, there is a utilitarian reality. I needed an heir. You are it. You're a part of the family. Everything I have is going to be yours. But watch this. They've been adopted into a family, even though as adult sons, but treat and respond to their father like they're toddlers. The spirit of his son is in our hearts. It calls us, it invites us to call him Abba. In the first century, the word Abba would be a whole lot like the word papa. It's the most immature word that a child could use to identify their father. Abba. An adult heir brought into a family with this purpose would never refer to a father as Abba. Might even be sir. But being brought into the family God does not do this for a utilitarian purpose, for something he needs. He does it all for your good and invites you to know him at the most basic elemental level, the most basic intimate level, call me Dada. That was my kids' word of choice when they were growing up in our home. There wasn't much sweeter than that to hear Dada when i walk in the room. And God says that this is the relationship I've invited you into. A parallel passage that talks about this concept of God's adoption of us into his family is from Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship and by him, by the spirit that resides in us, we cry, Abba. Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The result of adoption is the reality of the Spirit's presence in my life. Even though we're adopted as fully privileged sons, we have this intimate relationship with the Father that allows us not just to call Him Father, but Papa. An invitation offered that allows you to approach the creator of the universe as a toddler would their dad. When God is your father, you have no doubt that you are his. Finally today, when God is your father, your inheritance is secure. Your inheritance is secure. The last verse in our passage today from Galatians 4 verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. The slave status that you once would have known without hope, being someone's property, born into that situation, and going to die in that situation, that was all you were looking forward to. Imagine, mind blown, heart leaping out of your chest, This cannot be true. This is so surreal. I couldn't have even imagined a set of sequences and a set of, of circumstances that would cause me to be brought into the king of kings' home, not made a slave, not made an underaged heir, but a fully privileged heir for all eternity. That's the relationship that Paul is wanting to impress upon the Galatian Christians, all aside from the law. Packer once more, the reason for adopting in this first century world was specifically to have an heir to whom one could pass on one's goods. So too, God's adoption of us makes us his heirs, and so guarantees to us as our right, we might say, The inheritance that he has in store for us. Our father's wealth is immeasurable, and we are to inherit the entire estate. One final thought I have for you today is this How does a former slave turned heir respond to everything that has happened in this sequence of being found in Christ? I'll tell you this, an heir doesn't just sit on the couch waiting for what will come, but joins his, joins her father in the family business. Philippians chapter 2 verse 22, but you know, Paul writing, that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, the apprenticeship that Paul had led Timothy through, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. That's why at Trinity Church, we are not a people simply rooted in all this amazingness we've talked about today, but we are a people driven to reach, to reach those that God has placed in our world strategically and supernaturally that they might experience this too. You fulfill your purpose serving your father. So one simple question to end with today, who's your daddy? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people on this Father's Day who have this incredible joy of being reminded of your immense, extravagant love for us. More than a Hallmark card, more than feelings, but God, so much action. So much placing your son in harm's way to be that lamb as it were, skinned and placed over us that we might be accepted fully by you. That we would have these rights and privileges given from those who before were enslaved, those who before had no hope, but you have broken through. And you have made this gospel known to us, this incredible, great news But God, you did more than that. You not just made it known, you did something in our hearts to respond to it. We've said it before, spiritually dead people can't respond to spiritual influence, stimuli. But God, you've quickened us, you've awakened us so that we can and we have, and we are yours. We are so grateful for this immense love poured out in so many ways, demonstrated through the first century vehicle of adoption. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're here today, and like I said at the beginning of the service, you've never responded to this great news. You've never responded to this amazing love that your heavenly Father has extended to you. People who have responded to it haven't responded to it because they're more moral than you. People who have responded to it haven't responded because they were better people than you. People who have responded to it simply understood their need and simply understood God's immense love. So today, my exhortation to you, would you not take another moment trying to live life on your terms, trying to somehow be good enough for this holy, holy, holy God we talked about today that you can never, never on your own be acceptable before. This great news is he's provided that for you. Would you A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior? A, admit that you have been born into slavery. You have lived out this life vested in the flesh and you've realized I cannot, I cannot God live up to that. B, believe Believe that Jesus did. Believe that he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died a sacrificial death. Believe that he was um, supernaturally raised on the third day. Believe that what Jesus did, he did and covered you. See, is choose. Choose today in this space. Whether you're here indoors on the pavilion watching online, choose in this space to say, Jesus, I need you. There's no other savior available And I, today, I put my faith, my trust, my confidence in what you've done, not what I keep trying to do. And I want to live my life simply following your son's example. You can make that decision right where you sit. I pray you wouldn't take a step until you do. Father, thank you on this Father's Day. We have been so impressed with the fact that you are such a good, good father. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.